cliffcentral.com. How are you doing, Brett? Like a new morning, 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 all. Morning, Jesus. I mean, who knew we would be talking about kitchen implements before you came on this I morning? tried not to tell the story, and you then asked me to, so I apologize no. for the boring washing machine spiel. Everybody has a washing machine story. Everyone. I just should have paid more money at the beginning, which was it was a toss of the coin, you know. Well, I should have paid more money at the beginning, and I would have get, been happier already for longer. What you pay for. That's but you also bad. try to repair a good machine and not throw it away because it's got a like, problem, you know. Anyway, sorry, Brent, you're more interesting than this, definitely. And even if you're sleeping, Brent, I'm you not haven't... convinced. Yeah? I, I mean, you know, thoughts on washing machines is a is a good way to start there. There's another brilliant shirt that you're wearing. Uh, Brett's wearing a black and yellow and white <laughs> pajama top. top. Where did you find that? Where did that comes come? With, comes with matching pants. I don't know what you what you're upset about. <laughs> I'm kind of here for this party. I'll be honest, Brett. I am here for this. I wore it so we could get you to sing again, Sia. Yes. What it's all about. There we go. Look at that. You could also stand at the end of T-junctions <laughs> to keep them safe. But that's good. <laughs> With a T-shirt that says, no job. People Just will hold your arms out in other direction and people will go. So, Brett, you guys haven't, you haven't yet come up with a brilliant idea for how to gas power a washing machine, have you? Well, I mean, my, so you can do it. My whole house runs on gas. We've got a gas jenny at the back. So when ESCOM switches off the power, which oddly enough is not that rare, then uh, they were running the place on gas. Can be done. Nice. So tell us, because this is controversial. I already uh, introduced the subject earlier on with Sia and Gord and, and everybody else. So I said, Brett's going to come on this morning and he's going to piss off some people by saying corruption is not always a bad thing. Or have I misquoted you? No, I think uh, that, that's a good introduction. I think, uh, yeah, we should probably start off pissing off a whole lot of people. Let's just get it out there so that the fucking sensitive liptards out there can yeah. not get too sensitive about approach. It's a new approach of hearing what a person thinks, even though there's a possibility you might not agree, and then deciding <laughs> afterwards if you agree and being okay with not agreeing. You're processing uh, a bit of information before making a decision. It's, uh, yeah, it's, an ex- it's an experiment. Let's try it, see if we, we- can manage we could add that to your curriculum, Gareth. Brett's that about to say something we might not agree with. <laughs> try not to let it ruin my life. Go, Brett, go. Well, let me start off by saying that corruption is hands down a bad thing. I mean, there's no getting away from that. Uh, you know, effectively, if you take someone who's got some kind of power or some kind of resource and you allow them to just misbehave. and uh, so brave. So brave and, of you to speak that. And, and empower themselves. Uh, that, that's pretty never a good thing. Having said that, I must tell you, there's a growing awareness uh, globally. There's a couple of books being written. There's quite a lot of noise bouncing around that, especially in the in the context of capitalism, the periods of, of really strong growth uh, coincide with periods of high corruption. Mm. So what you see is all the countries that have, uh, and there's many, there's many we can mention. England in the, in the 1800s had massive growth and massive corruption. We've forgotten about it. America certainly in the 1900s had huge growth and enormous corruption. Japan in its heyday, uh, China right now, uh, uh, Vietnam sort of before the 2010s, uh, all had massive corruption, massive growth. The two tend to go hand in hand. 
all of this is terrific, but I'm already fast forwarding to the part where we get to South Africa and we have huge amounts of corruption and no growth. <laughs> well, that, that's what I want to talk about. So for, like my, for my five cents, the problem in South Africa is well, we've got corruption that's annoying, but that's not really the biggest problem over here. The biggest problem to me seems to be something that, that, that we, we, we pin on corruption, which is really incompetence. We have staggering levels of incompetence all over the show in sort of everything that's government related. You go, like you were saying this morning, you want to get your license disc renewed. There's just huge queues. The website's sort of got names written the wrong way around. It's just a mess from start to end. Nobody knows right. what the hell is going on. Um, and so you don't have growth because you have these really low levels of, of, of service delivery across the board. So how is money going to flow? How is money going to change hands if nobody's capable of actually running anything? So you're right. You've got these staggering levels of corruption and absolutely no growth in South Africa, and that 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 that's a death knell. It's not a it's not a pretty thing. Well, you cited some examples of economies and economic situations historically where corruption has been a sort of has been on a, a similar graph to growth. But there must be as many where corruption is on an inverse inverse growth because you see a lot of countries that are thriving and doing okay, and then some shit yeah. takes over. South absolutely. America got a bit of that. South America's had all sorts of problems. Look, we can go into details around it. Uh, there's some very good books to be read around it. I can punt one uh, right now by a guy named Hajun Chang. He's a professor at, uh, at Princeton. Fantastic books. South Africans should read it. It's a book called 23 Things They Don't Tell You About Capitalism. Give it mm -hmm. a read. It'll give you a different insight into our pain, the developing world's pain, uh, the developed world's realities, and sort of uh, just a different view on how the thing fits together. And okay. where we're moving towards. Uh, it's on my reading part list. of the curriculum. Sorry, Gareth, go ahead. No, no, it's on, it's on my reading list. I'm just adding it now. Yeah, it's a goodie. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of, uh, of uh, Gord's question, so corruption or, or capitalism, the growth of a country from sort of uh, lots of people in poverty. Yeah, good one. Exactly that. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of countries sort of if you look at the growth from from days of poverty where the masses are in poverty into days of a strong middle class and and a lot of wealthy elite um, is not a linear growth uh, it, it's up and down it's a continuum that you have to follow and what happens is you get this concept of sort of almost miracle years in all of the great countries or the great growth countries that we've had over the last 300 years you've had 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or even 100 years of sustained insane growth. Like China's just had 30 years, sort of from, from 1980 to 2010 of 8.7% growth year on year. It's sustained insane growth sounds like a, a Trump campaign line. You're going to have sustained insane growth, insane growth and so sustained. From it's such nice people, great people out there. The best yeah. of the we've got the best economists. <laughs> they won't tell you who they are, but they're the best. And there's going to be so think... much growth, it's going to be sustained, and it's just going to be completely insane. <laughs> insane growth. I must say, it doesn't sound like Hitler when he talks. Yeah, I mean, There's a lot of complaints that he, he seems to be Hitler, but it, it doesn't sound a lot like him. Yeah, There's, no. there's a sort of strong... You know, people have this 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 really confused idea of Hitler was never really that positive. He was mostly an angry. He was the mega Corin. He was because I'm He just got up and Corined his like dissatisfaction with everything from the color of people to how the government operates to who's in charge to like yeah, how his yeah. mom treated him. Just like a coroning session. People, I just actually flying up on, on a future episode of the Alternative with Brett Cohen and Cliff Central. We'll be exploring the positive sides of it. 
I wasn't suggesting there's a positive side to Hitler. I was suggesting that he was having a car and he ran that actually moved the world. Like he united the Karens of an entire country. Sure. He did change a lot of people's perspectives, that's for sure. He did also pull Germany out of the doldrums. I mean, it was a remarkable story in terms of where they were before the war and where they are after the war. But you can't say that the price was worth paying it. No, and to the chase, it doesn't really help if everything that ever goes wrong, you just blame on the Jews. That doesn't seem to be fair. But, uh, you know, you can't I don't know, he, he, he squeezed a couple of other undesirables in there towards the end. You know, you try to make it more fair. We, right, we'll changing, sort of... changing the topic to something a bit less cantily. <laughs> we were talking about corruption in other and more recent economies. Right. I was. Let's get back to you. Were telling us about China, Thank and they've had same growth for thirty years. So. so they had, They've had really powerful sustained growth of, of nearly, nearly 8%. And if you look at America, their growth over the same period was like 1.5%. In fact, I think it's less than 1.5%. So what you're seeing or, or what you can conclude is that you have the, these periods, these miracle periods where like in, in China, 700 million people have been pulled out of poverty. Yeah. What happens after that is people, uh, people who have been pulled out of poverty have different expectations of their government, different expectations for their life and different standards that they start to apply. And so the government has to change its attitude because that level of corruption won't be tolerated by people that are more empowered than impoverished. Um, yeah, I and mean, so, it feels like in South Africa the only recourse is to complain, and then you become a nation of Korans but not mobilized, and as opposed to a mobilized Koran nation, and we know what they can do. But yeah. what you've just said is so true. The reason I think we have such a high tolerance, and we do in this country for corruption, is because people aren't empowered and they aren't educated enough to know that they deserve better. Um, so, therefore, it is only the people who are kind of in a better socioeconomic position who, who make a noise about corruption. And that's not good because it means that you get the same people moaning the whole time and the rest of them are just accepting whatever's thrown at them. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Uh, I think that's 100% right. It's it's uh, it's frustrating at the level we talk about. It's also immensely sad that such a large portion of our population don't feel empowered and don't feel that they have the right to complain about these things and expect more. Yeah, um, um, Bulelo has just brought up a really interesting point. He sent me a message and said, Machiavelli's The Prince details why corruption isn't always a bad thing in a beautiful way. Yeah, Let the merchants do the things you don't want to do. The prince must learn to wear two hats. Today, the uh, the mafia in Italy run the state, and it's still a G20 nation. It's the 51st most corrupt country on earth, though. And that's a good example. Like, there's certain things that you want dodgy people to manage for you. Where did we meddle? You know what? I was going to say, where did South Africa meddle in the Corruption Olympics? But I bet you we didn't, and we just stole the medals. <laughs> Oh, I got the final ceremony. We definitely, we definitely ranked. <laughs> Where are the medals? And why didn't South Africa pitch this year? But, um, Brett, what do you think? Which countries do you think are more corrupt than South Africa? And which countries do you think are less? I think there's many. I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that countries we never think of as corrupt have certainly had periods of intense corruption. Um, yeah. if we have a look at, at all the, all the bastions. Sorry, go ahead. Go. No, no, you mentioned the US and the UK was right. a bit of a lesson and Japan. And which Japan, I, yeah. to be honest, I mean, I've, I've kind of read that at some point, but I'd forgotten about it because we look at those countries now and we think, oh, well, rule of law, you know, uh, justice system that works. And obviously they're not as corrupt as we are. But actually the, the level of corruption, when they do the corruption stuff, it's on a much, much bigger level than we do. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the points that that uh, that the good professor tries to make in the book is that once you reach, once you've passed that that piece of of rapid growth in an economy, and you actually reach a status of let's call it developed economy, where the the bulk of your population is out of poverty, the bulk of the population is starting to get really educated and find specialist jobs and working in air conditioned offices and and sort of uh, having car and expectations. Mm. Uh, the the country's uh, government changes and a lot more regulation gets passed and enforced. Another thing we're very good at uh, at, at uh, not doing in South Africa. Um, and then uh, your your growth stagnates. So what happens almost immediately is you go from an eight or a nine or a ten percent uh, growth phase down to below three in the good times and below two in the bad times. Um, and so uh, that that changes the game. But then what immediately happens is these developed economies with all these sort of educated, uh, liberal thinking people come out and they go, no, what's going on in the in the developing countries is wrong. There's levels of corruption that are sickening. There's people that are being uh, badly benefited by this. Uh, they're cutting down trees to burn them. They're using coal to power the, the system. Um, and effectively, unfortunately, what's happening is you're cutting off the knees of the developing countries because you've already reached the state that you want to be in um, and you're making it all, almost impossible for them to get to that point. So there's this weird dynamic in the world that doesn't get spoken about enough about how developing countries are really put on the back foot by these ideals that are good ideals. We should be looking off the planet. We shouldn't be trying to burn it to the ground. But by the same token, it's easy for the UK to say in 10 years, we've gone from 40% coal usage to 2% coal usage. There's no way South Africa could, could achieve that. First of all, we're just sitting, the whole country is on coal. They basically set up unattainable goals for everyone else, but they've already attained those goals. So it's easy for them to say that's in the ledger. Now, Woody, Woody says he'd like to summarize your position with a nice slogan. He says your, your position is make corruption great again. <laughs> I'd wear that cap, Woody, for sure. Look, I'm not trying to, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate in the sense that I've just sort of given a bit of thought as to how corruption, in the back of my mind, how corruption could be beneficial. And I suppose it's like sort of microtransactional corruption that doesn't take away from the available resources, like uh, in a significant, no, measurable way of the economy and and the infrastructure it's meant to build, et cetera. If you have these little microtransactional corruptions, it, it's almost an incentive for efficiency. It's almost like one of those positive uh, aspects of capitalism that we know and love. Like if there's a if there's a hundred rand note in it here and there, things can move quickly, you know. But I still, yeah. as opposed to a bureaucracy where you get paid the seven rand fifty an hour, regardless of how many angry corns driver's licenses you renew or don't, you know that kind of thing. I can sort of see, but George, corruption by and large has to kind of be seen as a as an illness symptom of capitalism. Yeah, it's a bad I, thing. I started thinking about it when I saw that this is what you wanted to talk about, Brett. And I thought about, for me, the best example is why I live here instead of live in Australia. And I get that Australia is a great country. Um, it really is. It seems to me to be a country where there is a respect for the rule of law, where people know that they, they you know, they're safe, they're secure. It's a country that functions properly. Um, they 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 have systems that are operable and that seem to 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 work at maximum capacity and all of that stuff, which is terrific. And I'm not going to take any of that away from Australia. And I certainly don't want to talk this in, turn this into an Australia bashing session. But I don't like the idea that you live in a nanny state. I don't like the idea that you have to ask permission for everything. I don't like the idea that the authorities have the ability to remove from you certain rights which I don't believe governments have 
given you in the first place. I think those are those are rights that come from you being a, a human being. They pre-exist. Yeah. And in this country that we live in, there are certain things that you can just get done a little bit quicker if you indulge in low-level corruption. And I'm by no means saying to people, go out there and break the rules, break the law. But there are certain things that it's just a pain in the ass if you don't grease the wheels a little bit uh, to have to wait for the bureaucracy to come on board. And it's more of a a have-to situation in South Africa. There are things that we just have to indulge in in this country to get stuff done, which, although it's costly, and that means people's time, resources, and energy, it sometimes gets to the desired result a little bit quicker than if you had to fill in the bureaucratic forms and go through the processes and do what people in a system that works like Australia have to do. Frankly, I think the Wild West was a place of more opportunity than um, a bureaucratic state where everything has to be stamped and rubber stamped by government. Sometimes the system just needs a little bit of lubing, in other words. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I I think that Gord's spot on, he used the right word. I think that, that corruption creates incentive. Um, and incentive creates opportunity and opportunity creates the flow of money. So without incentive, with a strong bureaucracy, just like you're seeing in the developed countries, there's a hell of a lot of regulation. Um, effectively, you go to the UK, just about every job that you've got is effectively working for government because it's regulated to that degree. So um, there's no growth, you know, it just kind of stands still. A lot of the growth, depending on how pessimistic you want to be on the outlook of things, a lot of the growth in, in both America and the US um, has been taking advantage of the growth in other countries rather than any growth in their own countries because they've got established mechanisms that, that the less developed countries need to make use of and they can charge a premium on top of that. So I remember in the early 2000s, they were all talking about the service-based economy and how America's not in trouble. It can outsource all its jobs uh, because it's uh, the, the economy is changing. It's no longer about what you manufacture. It's now about that sort of degree of uh, sophistication above that and it's all about the service-based economy. Um, and we all know that's starting to end now. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I think. Sorry, just just to continue in terms of Australia, I think that you're, the point you're making over there highlights a very important or a very interesting thing to talk about. Because while you're right at, at ground level, at grassroots level, there's probably almost zero corruption in Australia. I, I think I, I don't know the place that well, but I'd imagine if you're driving in a car and you try to bribe a cop over there, you're in trouble. Um, but at government level, the Morrison government is a, is a corrupt government. It's not a particularly clean, squeaky clean government. It does all sorts of things behind closed doors that it shouldn't, and it has been ousted once or twice. Uh, we just need to talk about uh, the big three of the of the 2010s uh, in America, the Bradley Mannings and the uh, Julian Assanges and the Edward Snowdens of the world to understand that uh, whistleblowers in the really big countries that we like to think of as really, really the the uh, poster child of good democracies, um, the, the whistleblowers are being uh, sort of really abused if you look at the Assange situation. Oh, no, no, no. They, um, they, so, they, they don't get any benefit of the doubt. Whistleblowing is not treated with uh, kindness. So they that, don't get that, quite as beheaded these days as maybe they, they once <laughs> did, but it's still not a good environment to be in. No. So, I mean, that, that highlights some questions. If we're talking about corruption, you could argue that a government must be corrupt if it's prepared to sort of slap laws on a guy like Assange, who did, without any shadow of a doubt, highlight war crimes. He did. He showed categorically uh, missiles being shown at, uh, being being shot at uh, at innocent people and killed. So, you know, there's, the, every country in the world is corrupt. 
Uh, I think corruption as a concept is a very broad concept that we should probably try to restrict our understanding of it. And then we can probably highlight why it's such a problem in South Africa and not benefiting us to the extent where it's just as big a problem perhaps in China, but clearly it's benefiting them in terms of, uh, of huge uh, financial growth. Wow, uh, you've, you've opened up a can of worms and people are just coroning up a storm. In fact, there's more comments about Karens than anything else. If there is a, <laughs> if anyone called Karen listening this morning, I'm sorry, your ears are burning. Um, terms like Omega level Karen, Uber Karening. Um, here's a good question. After many years of Karens in control and the main Karen rising to the throne, will we celebrate a coronation? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually good. Yeah, that'll do it. I just want to say if anybody's got a bit of money for Dev, because God knows I'm not floating a process like that again, I've got an idea for a relatively sort of five to six out of ten complexity video game to do with Corins. And if a Dev company want to split the revenue, I think it could make squillions. Squillions. Does it involve um, shooting birds at them? I can't give away too much detail because I don't give my idea away. Or I'll just give away the theme. There's a way that these Corins do a game that's going to be addictive and fun. But I, a thing that I was just, I didn't want to derail the grown-up part of that conversation, but my main problem with Australia is similar to my problem with the place of many Tashes, is that they just disregard grammar. First of all, they pronounce, they spell their airline Cantus and pronounce it Qantas, and it makes me want to stab them. And also that they've completely just abandoned the letter R. They don't use the sound R in their diction at all. Even in the name of the letter R, they don't use an R. They say, ah, it's like Mac in the dark, in the car park. Like, those are H's, not R's. Yeah, which has nothing to do with corruption. <laughs> really, that's the part that, that upsets you about yes. Australia. Okay. I just leave out a whole letter. Thanks. One. That's Thanks for reminding us, Brett. <laughs> that's the part. All right. Listen. Uh, this has been fun. Thank you very much, uh, Brett. Always good to check in with you. The gas company is an alternative to the usual energy that you think is the only option on the market. And there are ways for you to uh, to use gas and to use many alternatives in your life that you may not have thought of. And that's part of the reason we check in with Brett every week. Cliffcentral.com.